Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts for today's episode, Chloe Langer, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Joe Heschmeyer of the blog Shameless Popery and Holy Family School of Faith Institute here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, where both Joe and I work together. Our main thing at Holy Family School of Faith is really inviting people into an intimate relationship with Christ, helping them recognize that they're made for authentic friendship with others, and then equipping them to be missionaries, disciples in their own lives. And so if you want to find out more about what Joe and I do with Holy Family School of Faith, you can check us out at schooloffaith.com where you'll find some really great resources like some online classes that are free with the audio on apologetics, evangelization, are a few that come to mind. You'll find some recommended reading. You'll find an ask an apologist section. If you've ever had questions about the Catholic faith, that's a great place to turn to. And if you live in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, you can take advantage of some of our live classes and lectures, which are phenomenal and highly recommended. So check us out at schooloffaith.com. So we're in the middle of Holy Week. This is this beautiful week that the church sets aside as really a week to commemorate, to remember the beauty and sacrifice that occurs on the way up to Calvary on Christ's passion in his death. And ultimately what we get to celebrate in less than a week now, Easter, Easter Sunday and Christ's resurrection. So here on the Catholic podcast this Lent, we've been doing something a little bit different, um, taking just a little twist on our normal on our normal podcast, and we've been interviewing friends, those who've inspired us in the way that they live their faith, and we've been asking them what it's like to live the Stations of the Cross. And so our prayer has been that through this series with us, you've been able to meditate on the Stations of the Cross, hopefully in a way that you never have before, um, in a way that really inspires you to pause in the middle of this busy spring season that we live in, and just to be with Christ, to exist with him in his suffering, to console his heart. So we've looked at a variety of the stations. We've looked at the condemnation of Christ, Christ carrying his cross. We've spent time with the women on the way. Today, we are wrapping up this series with our reflections on the crucifixion of Christ. So something that we'll be commemorating in the Catholic Church on Good Friday here in a couple of days. And so really just invite you into this meditation to spend time with the Lord, to be with him during his moments of suffering. The crucifixion happens outside of time. And so we have the ability to console Christ's heart. Even though the crucifixion historically is something that happened 2000 years ago, it exists out of time so that we can be with Christ to console him um, in this moment of pain and suffering and sacrifice that he took on for us. Ultimately, so that we get to experience the beauty of the resurrection in our own lives, that God becomes man so that man can become God. We are also invited into this process of divinization. And this beauty of the resurrection event, it's not just a, something that happened in the past. It's its an event in our faith that has a huge impact on our spirituality, on what we believe, where we're going, and how we live our lives. So today we're going to be spending some time talking about the crucifixion and asking others what it means to suffer with Christ, especially on the cross. And so we'll start off with a reflection meditation from Cardinal Ratzinger's, uh, who became Pope Benedict XVI, but in the Lent before his election to Pope, he wrote these beautiful meditations at the Colosseum, so 2005, and we're going to be reading through his Good Friday meditation on the crucifixion. So it's the 12th station. Jesus dies on the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. From the Gospel according to John. Pilate also wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. John 19, 19 
In Greek and Latin, the two international languages of the time, and in Hebrew, the language of the chosen people, a sign stood above the cross of Jesus, indicating who he was, the king of the Jews, the promised son of David. Pilate, the unjust judge, became a prophet despite himself. The kingship of Jesus was proclaimed before all the world. Jesus himself had not accepted the title Messiah, because it would have suggested a mistaken human idea of power and deliverance. Yet now the title can remain publicly displayed above the crucified Christ. He is indeed the king of the world. Now he is truly lifted up. In sinking into the depths, he rose to the heights. Now he has radically fulfilled the commandment of love. He has completed the offering of himself. And in this way, he is now the revelation of the true God, the God who is love. Now we know who God is. Now we know what true kingship is. Jesus prays Psalm 22, which begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes to himself the whole suffering people of Israel, all of suffering humanity, the drama of God's darkness, and he makes God present in the very place where he seems definitively vanquished and absent. The cross of Jesus is a cosmic event. The world is darkened, and the Son of Man is given up to death. The earth trembles, and on the cross, the church of the Gentiles is born. The Roman centurion understands this and acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. From the cross he triumphs, ever anew. When Joe and I were meditating on this station of the cross, the crucifixion, a couple of things stuck out to us from Cardinal Ratzinger's reflections. Here are a few quotes that we pulled. The first is, Let us look upon him, Christ, at times of presumptuousness and pleasure, in order to learn to respect limits, and to see the superficiality of all merely material goods. Another one that stuck out to us is this, Let us nail ourselves to him, resisting the temptation to stand apart or to join others in mocking him. And finally, this quote from Cardinal Ratzinger, he takes to himself the whole suffering people of Israel, all of suffering humanity, the drama of God's darkness, and he makes God present in the very place where he seems definitively vanquished and absent. To begin, we're going to take a closer look at this idea of the presumptuousness of pleasure, respecting limits, and seeing the superficiality of all merely material goods. And to help us with that conversation is a dear friend of ours from the Kansas City area. So jump off. Uh, hi, my name is Mark Sappington. I am a 28-year-old who began, fell in love with Jesus about four years ago. It wasn't until I was 24 and had encountered some true brokenness in my own life and in my own identity, yeah, in the world, that I fell in love with Jesus and the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's been, I've uh, been on fire ever since. There's been different levels of flame, but I think my personality lends itself to being uh, ablaze for something. So uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a heck of a road and I'm eager to see yeah, where where it takes me, or where the where the Lord guides me, because it's it's all been good. Uh, it's all been good. 
Joe and I have gotten to know Mark through his involvement with City on a Hill, which is a young adult ministry in Kansas City. Also, with his work at Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish in Kansas City, Missouri. But before we met Mark, he was a minor league baseball player. So we asked him to share a little bit about what life looked like in that season. No baseball pun intended. So life as a baseball player, yeah, played in high school and then went and played in college yeah, for three years at Rockhurst University, just here in Kansas City. And then I got drafted by the Los Angeles Angels. So I would liken it maybe for some of the... Yeah, maybe the seminary or um, just like a quote-unquote rule of life because you don't ever stop. So I think, I mean, like an off day, there were there really were no off days, um, especially like in a season you'd play from the time spring training started, which was, you know, mid-February until the time the season ended, which was like mid-September. That seven months, I didn't have a single sick day in five years of professional baseball. I didn't have a single day, yeah, that I was, you figured it out. And if you were sick, you drove to the ballpark, the trainer told you to go home. I mean, it really was just, sometimes it felt like Groundhog Day. But uh, in many ways, I've heard this, that education is what you learn and know, and formation is what you practice and do. Over the five years of playing, I felt like I got a lot of formation as far as discipline and habits of consistency, and teaching your body to be able to go out and compete whether I feel like it or not. And so I've actually seen that uh, dive over into my prayer life <laughs> because there's tons of times that I, I don't feel like uh, sitting down and, or, or kneeling or whatever and, and praying a rosary or sitting with the Lord for a half hour in mental prayer or doing my spiritual reading or, or any of these different norms that I have. Uh, but it, but it's the habitual nature of saying, no, this is what I do. Here's how I do it. It's kind of liturgical in a way, right? That it you don't break up the pattern. And I think my time in baseball really formed me in being able to kind of surgically remove a couple of the baseball habits and actually put in prayer. So as my conversion yeah, occurred or my reversion to the faith, I guess, back in 2015, over the past four years, I've been able to plug in different things into my routine, which now have become habits which are now the reason that, you know, I haven't killed anybody amidst leadership because, uh, yeah, you can do a lot of wrong things. Um, but, you know, when you're plugged into the Lord, he, he usually uh, redirects your steps uh, before you fall off the path. In this podcast episode about the crucifixion, again, we're focusing on this idea from Cardinal Ratzinger, looking upon Christ in times of pleasure so that we can learn to respect limits and see the superficiality of merely material goods. So we asked Mark to talk about moments when he realized that the world's definition of a successful life that he was living wasn't as successful as the world sold it to be, and his life wasn't fulfilling with this worldly definition of success. I think one of the things that I encountered as I played baseball was the cognitive dissonance between what the fans thought of you at times, right? And then you're one of nine people out on a field. Almost every kid or every dad has played baseball in some capacity before and can see that out there and say like, you know, I, I could, I could kind of do that. You know, I could be out there. Um, but I'm the one who gets to be out there uh, along with my teammates. So I think they treat you in this way of kind of mystique, um, which I, I also kind of get because there's not a whole ton of professional baseball players. Um, but also the fact that I was making $7,500 a year uh, as a professional baseball player, there was also that 
kind of knowledge that like it looks like a success in some senses, but even as the world defines it, you're not making any money. So it was it was really an odd mental game that one might play on themselves because I think that presumptuousness, that pleasure, I liken it to eating a really, really rich meal. It tastes delicious and you can do it on occasion, maybe on a feast day or a solemnity. If you do it all the time, all you do is get fat, slow, groggy, etc. because you're kind of filling yourself up with quote unquote hot air or empty calories. And I think baseball for me, like when I looked at, uh, you know, the presumptuousness, that pleasure, what I did before my conversion, and, and sometimes, you know, they say pride goeth before the fall. Well, what I'd do is I'd have fans or people that would fill me up with these compliments or these things. They just tell you things you wanted to hear, or they say, you're going to the big leagues, you're going this, you're going that. It's like, yeah, yeah, I am. That's right. That's what I'm doing. But to listen to the voices that tell you exactly what you want to hear, especially because oftentimes they're not the truth, you know, they just lead straight to, uh, you know, straight to ruin. I think just being able to, you know, not engage in, in, in eating that rich food, that flattery, that, and I mean, like I look at my life now, yeah, you're always paying rent on whatever you're, whatever you're doing, right? If you don't show up to your job or to a relationship, uh, a marriage, right? Or, you know, being a father or mother, whatever your state in life is. Um, if you, if you begin, you know, skipping out on rent, not showing up for work, you get pushed to the wayside pretty quickly. And I think that as a, I'm a, I'm a sanguine, uh, regarding, uh, temperament. And so I'm much more given to shallow pleasures, you know, so let's say food, uh, let's say lust, let's say, um, riches or just things that look sparkly will capture my attention a lot easier than say maybe someone else. Um, so what I've really learned is, is custody of the eyes, what it is, is I really have to protect myself as far as like curating my media. Those are very pleasurable and they elicit uh, good responses from quote, from the senses, but they're actually not that fulfilling and can lead to ruin. Mark left minor league baseball behind and now works in ministry. So the cross is transformative. His relationship with Christ has been transformative in his own life. So we asked Mark to talk about how his life has been transformed by the power of the cross and how his definition of success has changed because of his relationship with Christ and with the church. I think success is sainthood, you know, and and I think and bringing like that I want to win with other people. I don't want to beat someone so much, you know, I think the competitive nature of professional sports, I mean it's I was one of the top four or 500 pitchers in the world for, for a period of time, as, as far as like, you know, numbers go. Um, that didn't mean I made any money, but it, it was an elite crew and you were consistently 10,000 other guys that are striving for your spot every day, right? Or, or you know, 5,000. And so you don't, you, that's another reason you don't get to take days off, right? You have to push, push, push. And so it's kind of this dog eat dog world or it can be, unless you uh, kind of have an, a, a better ordered way of thinking. And so I think as I had my reconversion uh, to, to uh, Jesus Christ and falling in love with him and his church, um, the cross 
was something that was now was now beautiful as, as opposed to something to avoid and be like, ah, you know, like I don't want to go through suffering. It's still like my body doesn't really want to go through suffering. Uh, but I know, yeah, cognitively, like I can process that it is a good thing for me to go through uh, meaningful suffering. And that the cross is what will allow me to transcend that. Well, I don't even know if it's me. It's just, it's a grace. And to say like, I'm, I'm yoked to Jesus. And so we're both carrying the cross together. Maybe I'm like Simon the Cyrenian. Sometimes I just got forced to carry something. And other times I'm a willing party to, you know, undergo some, some difficult circumstance, right? Maybe I've, maybe I'm not going to get any sleep because I've decided to, you know, maybe I've had a really deep conversation with someone that needed to process something. Um, I guess ever since the cross has been in my life, you know, I can't get enough of the Eucharist. I mean, I go to daily mass, you know, I, I probably, 360 times a year. Yeah. It's just like every day. And that's become something that's just like, I need that, you know, like if I'm going to be a saint, if I'm going to be all that, uh, you know, God calls me to be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I need all the freaking help I can get. And, and the cross is, is the help that's, you know, bearing a heavy load and, 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 uh, trying to bear a little bit more than you did the day before and not for sake of, being this person that everyone else looks up to, quote unquote, but to grow in virtue and to say, you know, I can, I can be courageous and I can fall down and get back up. Right? I look at stations of the cross. Jesus fell three times. I mean, how, how human to be able to look at that and say, you know what? I can get back up too. And, 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 by, and, and I can pick up the load again and, and, and make my way joyfully to Jerusalem. Um, and which is kind of what we're going through in Lent. That's how the cross has transformed my life. I was, I love people more, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I mean, I was, I was narcissistic. I was, uh, you know, uh, you know, indulging in, you know, a lot of self pleasure, things of the sort. Yeah, my stomach was my God in many ways. Um, and just kind of other people's perception of me was my God. So I think with the cross, I now have, uh, there's a song called, uh, audience of one. I don't really like it that much because it's just the tune doesn't make me happy uh, or, or groove with my my person. But what I do like is that is the line. Like I do know who the king is, who the Lord is, and who I am truly living and acting and serving uh, or, or who I'm doing all these things for. Uh, the cross, like that gives me a reason. Like uh, that's It's kind of like the foundation upon which I stand in order to be able to say no to the things of the world. Without the cross, I don't think I could say no to the things of the world. In a way, it's my lever against um, modernism. Man, I'm nowhere near where I hope to be some someday, but I'm a heck of a lot further than I was four years ago. And that is, and that is the grace of God. So the cross can transform our suffering. And Christ invites us to pick up our own cross. And, and these are ideas that we've meditated on before. But on this last episode of this series, we wanted to talk about this idea of perseverance. Hi, my name is Jen Falman, and I am a wife to my husband, Mark, and a mom to six with seven on the way. I first heard about Jen's story at Given, which is a women's conference here in the Kansas City area. And when I was reading through Cardinal Ratzinger's meditation on the cross, perseverance and suffering with the Lord, her story came to mind. And so we asked Jen to share a little bit about her story. When I was 28 years old and 28 weeks pregnant with our fourth child, Jack, 
I was diagnosed with triple negative stage two breast cancer. Fortunately, at the time when we found the cancer, it had not yet spread to areas of my body, but it would require that I would fight this aggressive cancer with all the weapons. I would need to do chemo, a double mastectomy, and a radiation treatment. My suffering obviously came in the physical form. I lost my hair. I lost feeling in the tips of my fingers and my toes due to the chemo drugs. I experienced bone pain. I literally shed two body parts and then was necessary that I burnt my chest to ensure this cancer would never come back. During this time, though, I also suffered mentally and emotionally with the unknowns of the future, having to face my family and friends who were also scared, specifically my other three kids at the time. My oldest was only four. Looking in the mirror at this bald, breastless woman, and then there's always the constant fear that the cancer is going to return. For instance, any headache has to be talked I have to talk myself off the ledge that the cancer hasn't gone to my brain. My understanding of suffering was transformed by Christ suffering on the cross. And I came to realize that Christ did not ask me to endure one hardship while battling cancer that he too had not already faced. He wasn't asking me to do this alone. I had to only follow his way and put my feet in his prints. For example, The night I was diagnosed with cancer was, without a doubt, the scariest, darkest, longest night of my life. The nurse on the phone that day could only let me know that the lumps were cancer, but the doctor would give me more details the following day. I had no idea the severity of my diagnosis, and I think it's only human and perhaps normal to let your brain wander. One million questions were going through my head as one million tears were falling on my pillow. But at some point in my agony, I thought of Jesus in the garden. Specifically, I remember that even our Lord, he was petrified what the next day was going to bring. So much that he asked God, take this away from me, if at all possible. This brought me comfort and ironically a little laughter. Because just as Jesus, when he was done praying, found his apostles asleep, my husband, who is loving and comforting, was snoozing soundly next to me. Our Lord fully understood and then some, every ounce of fear that I was feeling that night. In addition, a cancer journey is a mix of emotions, to say the least. At one moment, I could have been laughing with my breast surgeon before surgery, and at another, screaming in desperation on my way home from radiation, exhausted, burnt skin, God, please take this away and never let it come back. But because Jesus was also fully human, he understands this range of emotions, which is so comforting. While he was carrying his cross, Jesus had to comfort the women and Veronica and his own mother. And I quickly realized that I may have been the one with the cancer, but that didn't mean I was the only one suffering. My father, for instance, needed to hear hope in my voice the very day I was diagnosed so that he could pick himself up off the ground and wipe his tears. My sweet four-year-old daughter needed to see a smile immediately after I shaved my head because she was trembling with fear under her covers. I can still hear her giggle of relief when she saw me and she was like, mommy, it's still you. It's still your smile. However, despite my overall positive attitude while fighting cancer, there were so many times of despair and it brought me great comfort in knowing that if Jesus, the most perfect human can call out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
then I needed to be gentle and forgive myself in my weakest moments. Lastly, cancer left behind physical scars. To be completely honest, these scars can still take my breath away when I see myself in the mirror. Who I was physically before cancer is not who I am now or ever will be again. Yet, how awesome it is to think that God healed but did not remove Jesus' scars from the cross. Instead, he kept them there, knowing Jesus would need to use his scars as proof of his great sacrifice. I like to think that I need my scars, too. I need them to remind myself of my journey, its small miracles, and the overwhelming joy that came from my suffering. Christ persevered on the cross in the face of incredible suffering, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual suffering. And so with Jen's story, we asked her to speak into how she found the strength to persevere in moments of great suffering and how Christ's suffering on the cross inspired her in these moments. Perseverance in moments of great suffering during my cancer was accomplished by two things. First, finding the beauty and even the darkest moments, and then staying focused on the cross taking one day at a time. Finding the beauty. For instance, hair loss is definitely hard to adjust to, specifically as a female. I was determined to find its beauty, to find its positives. So it was summertime when I was diagnosed and summer's hot. So I embraced this bald head as a way to beat the heat. Plus, as a mom of four, I have little to no time in front of the mirror anyway. So my lack of hair became one last thing for me to worry about when I'm trying to get myself and my kids ready for the day. But the ultimate beauty in the darkness of my cancer was without a doubt the gift of our healthy newborn. So I said I was pregnant when I was diagnosed and Jack actually got to stay safely inside me for two rounds of chemo before we delivered him at 37 weeks. So in the middle of my ugliness and my darkness in my battle. I got to snuggle this innocent, perfect baby. I used to say that Jack sleeping on my chest was all the medicine I needed. Plus being a mommy to a newborn and then three other kiddos allowed me, almost forced me to beautifully shift my focus from myself to them. I would come home from chemo and immediately go from being the patient to the mom. And that helped me to persevere. And I can't forget to mention that I think there is some beauty in the darkness of giving up your breast as a woman. Specifically, there are lots of mommies who lose hours of their day and night breastfeeding, which is this beautiful sacrifice. But I soon found out there's also beauty in bottle feeding Um, without me being able to breastfeed and other people being able to give Jack bottles. I was given this beautiful gift of more sleep. So yes, I found the beauty in the darkness in order to persevere, but I think I only accomplished this by doing for the first time in my life, probably ever, what Jesus calls us to do, to focus only on today, to keep our eyes focused on the cross, letting him plan tomorrow. At points in my journey, I had several doctor's appointments a week, some of which I was toting kids with me. Plus, I had to get my kids to preschool, their activities, and then all the normal chores of being a mommy. Needless to say, it was absolutely necessary to take one day at a time, and at times one hour at a time. And then there were definitely moments when I needed to take one minute at a time. Then it's a doctor's job to inform you when you're sick of all the things that could go wrong or may happen during your treatments. 
For example, the list of side effects from chemo, it's never-ending. And this includes infertility as a female. I was hearing all of this, specifically the word infertility, and I was currently pregnant with her fourth child. So I immediately handed over all of those fears to God. And while I kept my eyes fixated on the cross, he was laying out a path that I still to this day say that I am so unworthy of. Chemo was not supposed to work on my type of tumor. Chemo destroyed it all. Chemo was supposed to delay or at least take away my fertility. And I found out two months after all of my cancer treatments that I was pregnant with our fifth child. God's plans were more beautiful than any ounce of my worrying or planning could have ever imagined to the extent that I am currently pregnant with our seventh child who is due potentially on the very day that my whole cancer journey began on June 2nd. So my eyes were on the cross. I took one day at a time. I've seen the power of this. However, I am human and I could never perfectly persevere following Christ's footsteps. So I have to mention before ending that it was definitely the unending prayers of family, friends, and strangers that undoubtedly also pulled me through my darkest moments. I will never know the words people spoke to our God or perhaps even the sacrifices they made on my behalf, but I know that I am forever grateful. I know that I speak for Joe and myself when I say that it has been an honor to listen to the stories of those we've gotten to interview in this season of the Catholic podcast. We hope that it has been an inspiration to you um, and inspired you to really sit down with the Lord during the prayers of the Station of the Cross and to ask him what he's desiring to show you this Lenten season, especially in a particular way, this Holy Week. Know of our prayers for you during this Holy Week, uh, our prayers for you and for your family, and our prayers for you for a joyful, joyful Easter. Lord Jesus Christ, at the hour of your death, the sun was darkened. Ever anew, you were being nailed to the cross. At this present hour of history, we are living in God's darkness. Through your great sufferings and the wickedness of men, the face of God, your face, seems obscured, unrecognizable. And yet, on the cross, you have revealed yourself. Precisely by being the one who suffers and loves, you are exalted. From the cross on high, you have triumphed. Help us to recognize your face at this hour of darkness and tribulation. Help us to believe in you and to follow you in our hour of darkness and need. Show yourself once more to the world at this hour. Reveal to us your salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schoolfaith.com. Thank you.